It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Melbourne out in straight sets. Sarah Ollie is our guide here, afl.com.au. Sarah, hello. Hello, Jared. And had that Lauren Pierce kick been a goal and, and not a behind? We go to extra time and who knows what happens. But it's not to be. The Ds for the second time this year out in straight sets. And full credit to Geelong, who were the best team for three quarters. How high an accolade would you award that game? Best jet, best final? What would you say? It's been an ongoing conversation, at least in my groups of friends and in the office all week. Where does this match sit? And I think the consensus is it's one of the best matches we've ever seen and I think because of the drama of it I mean for three quarters the D's didn't look like they had a hope in hell of even being competitive with the Cats who at three quarter time were 30 points up and they've got one foot in the door of a preliminary final against Brisbane and then Mixtineer comes out he moves a few magnets around and the D's of old were back Eden Zanker incredible with three goals in that final term and had that pierce kick gone a different way? It looks like perhaps it was going through for a goal. We might be talking about something very different indeed. But I've got to say it's one of the best games I've ever seen. What about you? It was it was riveting. So we were on quite good terms with it uh, as Geelong supporters. <laughs> and then <laughs> it, it really did wind you in. So what are we to – I know Melbourne get uh, the mitigation of they finished so well and they gave themselves a chance late – but this was a pattern that had developed late in the season and afflicted their finals, is what happened to Melbourne? Well, I think if we dig a little deeper, perhaps this lull has been going on than just the last few weeks. And we've been talking about their inability to score. I mean, at the halfway mark of the semi-final at the weekend, they'd scored, I think, two goals in 10 or 11 quarters. So that just shows you how this juggernaut of a scoring team had really dropped off. But from round one to five, they had five wins and they were averaging 79.8 points. From thereafter, three wins and four losses and averaging 44. So really, I think they peaked at the midway point of the season. Perhaps other teams found the blueprint to figure them out. Perhaps it's also, Jared, just really hard to go back to back. And perhaps, as Mick Stineer did say after the match, This shows that there is growth within the competition, that other teams can come up now and can beat the reigning Premier. And perhaps that isn't a bad thing, but, I mean, the Melbourne girls were bitterly disappointed to go out in that fashion. And they might be asking themselves, what were we doing for the first three quarters? If we can produce a quarter like that when everything is on the line, what were we doing? Because they look to have missed a pretty big chance. 
How significant for Geelong, uh, Sarah, there is the, the big picture element, as you've referenced there, yeah. as we saw on uh, the night before when Adelaide uh, made mincemeat of, of Sydney, and that's been the gulf between the top four and the rest. Um, and even when I spoke to Dan Lather about it in the lead up to the elimination final, he, he spoke about, uh, it's not, in, well, I guess it's an inherent inequity for the time being, and Geelong was able to bridge that. How, how significant is, is the result? Oh, it's hugely significant because, as you say, the gulf between the top three, Melbourne, Adelaide and Brisbane and the rest, has been pretty glaring. It's been a chasm, really. And you go back to round five where these two sides did meet and Melbourne won by 49 points. So they've been able to flip the script in a matter of two months. And while they're through to their second preliminary final, it's really their first preliminary final in earnest because the other time they made the final four was when we had conferences they played Adelaide back then and they got smashed down they kicked one goal but they'll be riding a wave of confidence to come up against a Brisbane side who has once again shown that they are one of the sides to beat but I think this is a real mental hurdle for Geelong and their one word all season has been starting really strongly we saw that in the first final as well against the Bombers and if they can start strongly against the Lions perhaps just silence that home crowd going to go a long way into making this a really competitive prelim. So I think big ticks for Geelong. Is there a player who has elevated during during this finals campaign? And is it Nina Morrison, the number one pick? Oh, she was sensational, wasn't she? I mean, you can see now why Nina was the number one pick. She's had her setbacks with ACLs along the way, but she just seemed to have a bit more time and space than any other player on the ground. And actually... She wasn't on the ground in the final couple of minutes. So uh, Dan Lather just couldn't really get her back out there. So perhaps if she'd been out there, we they would have had maybe a little bit more composure. But I just thought Nina really elevated herself. Amy McDonald, I thought, was sensational. She's a real tough and under midfielder and came out with the first two goals and really helped set the tone. But, yeah, that, that midfield at Geelong, it is... It's rather young. I mean, Nina's only 22, so the future is certainly bright there and she's going to need to play another big role this weekend. The Crows were quite ruthless with the Swans in a 12-goal to two game. It, it wasn't surprising. It, it was it was very impressive, I thought, from Adelaide after they'd narrowly gone under in their qualifying final against the Lions. Well, the fairy tale came to a screeching halt for the Sydney Swans. We did forecast this. I mean, if you looked at where both sides finished after the home and away season, it was first against eighth. And I mean, the Swans had never played the Crows before. This was always going to be a massive test, particularly on their home deck at Norwood Oval. And I just think it shows the gap between a team in their second year and a team in their eighth year. And, you know, it was it was a good chance for the Swans to see just what that gap is and, and the improvement they need to make. And uh, Matthew Clark, the Crows coach, said after the game, I think that's our first four-quarter performance of the season. So um, they're hitting their straps, at least in their coach's eyes, at the right time. And for Scott Gowan, you know, he just said, well, we're not quite yet there yet. And, and that's just what it is. It's the gap between a team that's been around since inception and one that has come in last season. But the Crows looked rather menacing and I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to that prelim with the Roos at Icon Park on Sunday. I think this could be an absolute humdinger. 
The Brisbane Lions and Geelong, North Melbourne and the Crows. Uh, we've had you with your seedings along the way. Is Who's your favoured pairing here? Who will make the grand final in your estimation? I think it might be a repeat of the first grand final we ever saw, which is the Lions and the Crows. Um, having said that, North Melbourne have done nothing wrong in the last few weeks at all. I just feel like Adelaide, though, they're, they're at their menacing best, and I think they're going to be really tough to beat. And I think the Lions might just be a little bit too classy for Geelong. But we'll wait and see, won't we? And, of course, we're going to wait and see where the final will be played. If North win, it's at Icon. If North lose and Brisbane win, it's up there. And then if Adelaide wins and Geelong wins, well, then it's, it's, it's over in Adelaide. So there's still a few permutations to work out there as well. <laughs> Rich possibilities. Um, the AFLW Best and Fairest will be on Monday night. So we've kept this in camera. Could you please roll out your final five from this AFLW season as to who have been the best players from five up as a precursor to the medal. All right. Well, if I was picking the award, Jared, in number five, I would have from the Sydney Swans, Laura Gardner, who's perhaps not one of the Swans that we've spoken about in terms of Chloe Malloy ad nauseum, but she's had a really solid season in the midfield and is part of the reason that they've really shot up the ladder this year. In fourth, I'll have a former Best and Fairest winner in Lion, Ali Anderson, in third, the Dancing Tiger, Mon Conti. In second, she was the inaugural rising star. That star continues to rise. It's Ebony Marinoff. And come on, everybody. <laughs> in number one, it has to be Jasmine Garner. Jasmine Garner, you, you've been so consistent all the way through, Sarah. Jazzy Gardner at, at Garner at one. Ebony Marinoff, the Crows of two. Monconti of Richmond at three. Ali Anderson, Brisbane, four. And Laura Gardner from Sydney at five. And the other uh, order of business is there are four clubs now searching for new coaches, yeah. Sarah, as the, the churn's been pretty significant. It's incredible. I feel like the footy has been so good that we haven't really spoken about the coaching merry-go-round, but... We've got Beck Goddard retiring from Hawthorne. Steve Simons has parted ways with Collingwood. Michael Pryor and the Eagles have finished up. And Nathan Burke acts from the Dogs. So four clubs in the Western Bulldogs, Hawthorne, Collingwood and West Coast, all searching for new coaches. And so that's going to be interesting as well with a fair bit to play out. We just got a month away from Christmas. We've still got... Uh, the trade period to come up, and then the draft on the 18th of December. So I just wonder how quickly these clubs will be looking to get a new coach in. I mean, some of the names that will be bandied about are the likes of Mel Hickey, of course, a former Geelong captain. She's now the Geelong Falcons coach, a former line coach, the Dogs. Perhaps some old names, Daniel Harford, Trent Cooper. They've both coached in their own rights before. Then there's someone like a, a Jane Land. She was at Melbourne as an assistant for years and is from the Darabin Falcons and, and really well regarded. So a lot to play out when it comes to the coaching merry-go-round as well. Sarah, these are busy days. I really appreciate your time. Enjoy <laughs> the preliminary finals. Enjoy the best and fairest. And we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thanks, Chad. I'll speak to you then.